Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. This week, I have a message I want to share with you talking about being transformed by his promises. Is that all right? And uh, we're going to have a good time today. If you get bored at some point today, I just want to inform you you're boring. Because I'm not a boring preacher. Can I get an amen? And if you fall asleep today, you have narcolepsy. This is not a church you sleep in. And so we're going to have a good time if you believe it. Say amen. Here at Ocean's Church, we lean into the Bible. We get on the edge of our seats like we're at our favorite movie. Come on, give a hand clap. The movie theaters are open again. Praise God. So this is better than a movie. This is better a sporting event. Sporting events do not change your eternal uh, status. Sporting events cannot heal your physical bodies. And today, I believe that God is going to do miracles in this tent. If you believe it, come on, one more time, say amen for me. All right, if you got your Bible today, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. If you are brand new right now at Ocean's Church, again, I would love it if you would share this message right now on Facebook. And I'm going to go to Matthew 18. I'm going to read 14 verses out of this passage. And I believe this is a message for the season that we are currently in. I believe right now we're in a day and a time that it's, uh, it's easier to get offended, easier to get upset. There is more, I would say today, there is more people that are bitter, more people that are resentful, more angry, unkind, despairing, depressed, hate-filled, grudge-holding people than maybe any other window in history. I would credit most of this to the fact that on social media today, uh, you see 20 years ago, you had to find people to get offended at. Maybe you were related to one or two of them. Nowadays, the news is no longer reporting uh, events. They are propagating hate. They are trying to pit you against the other, other, other side. We have news that points fingers, not, not, not tells us about facts. We have social media that people are arguing and debating and yelling and screaming. And we have cyberbullying, which is crazy. It's a real thing. I mean, I still think it's, it's not as bad as physical bullying. And everybody that grew up before, come on, cyberbullying, said amen. <laughs> come on, somebody. I grew up in Palmdale. There was real bullying in Palmdale. Get thrown in a trash can. Come on, a little bit worse than getting a text message. <laughs> I'm going to beat you up. Oh, no. Panic. Come on, how many of the physical beating up was a little bit worse? But nonetheless, there is a day that we live in that there is a lot of hostility. And I want to talk to you today about uh, a topic that we don't talk a lot about in church, but I would hope to bring a fresh set of eyes to it. So please don't tune me out. I believe it's for everybody. And by the way, I, I would say that one of, the, one of the true marks of legalism is when you listen to a message and you're saying something like this, this is for somebody else. Or if you say something like this, man, so-and-so should have been here today. That is one of the most pharisaical things you can say. Can we lean into God for ourselves today? 14 honest people in the room. All right, if you got your Bible today, Matthew chapter 18, let's read this together. If you're new to our church, I'm going to read 14 verses. I'm going to pray. I usually lift up the service and the Lakers. Uh, after that, I'm going to tell a couple stories. Uh, if you laugh, we call them jokes. If you don't laugh, we call you a bad crowd. And after we finish that, we're going to give you a few points that you can take home and stand on this week. And at the very end, I want to be very honest with you from the very beginning. If my intention is that in about 30 minutes, I'm going to invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to fill this tent and to fill your screens. And I'm going to ask him to heal sick bodies, to restore people that need a touch from God, and to actually get a hold of some hard-hearted people. Does that make sense? So if you feel like God is speaking to you today, it's because we're praying that he will. Are you with me? So Matthew 18, let's start today together in verse, uh, today, chapter 18, verse 21. Peter came to Jesus. Who are we talking about? Watch what Peter says. Lord, how many times shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? I'd like to bring your attention to one thing right out of the gate. Who's asking the question? How many of you Peter was probably the one that offended the most people? Just observational theology here. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but how about this? Up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king, a certain king. Now, let me stop for a minute. One more thought before I read the rest. He's going to give a parable here. Now, if you don't know what a parable is, it's not a true story. It's not a fact story. It is actually a parable is when God uses something that everybody understands 
to explain a truth that everybody wonders about. That's what a parable is. Usually parables uh, were used uh, with hyperbolic language. So he would exaggerate a, a story to prove a point. So watch what he says here. Uh, the kingdom of heaven, he goes, it's like this. It's like a uh, certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Now, when he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him, watch this, 10,000 talents. But he was not able to pay his master and commanded that he be sold, him and his wife, his children, and all that he had, that a payment may be made. The servant therefore fell down before the king, and he said to, 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 said to him, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Watch what he says. I will pay you all. How much was his debt? 10,000 talents. Now, you don't know what a talent is, but how many said that sounds like a lot? All right, we're, we're in agreement. It is a lot. We'll explain this in a moment. It says this. So he says to him, Master, uh, it says the master was then moved with compassion because of what the servant said, and he released him from prison and forgave him his debt. 10,000 talent debt. That exact servant, though, left and went his way and found somebody that owed him 100 denarii, and he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, took him by the throat. Pay me what you owe me, he said to the servant. But that servant fell down and begged him the same way he begged the king. He said, have patience on me, and I will pay you all. But he would not, but went and threw that guy that owed him a hundred denarii in prison until he should pay him the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were very grieved, and they went and told the king what had happened. Then the master of the king called him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you because you begged me. And, and he said, should you not have also had compassion on the man who fell down before you and had pity, as I had pity on you? And the master was angry, delivered him to the torturers, hello, that he should pay all that was due. So my heavenly father will do to you if you each from your heart, say with me, heart. Come on, help me out this morning. Some, from where? Does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Now, I know some of you want to tune me out right away, like, really? Forgiveness? But I want to just suggest to you that we live in a window of time that this, there's probably more offense floating around than any other window in history. So I want to talk to you today about the power, the power today of being transformed by forgiveness. You ready? God, I ask you today that whether we're brand new to church, whether we're just logging on online, whether we're on Facebook or on Ocean's Church or YouTube or we're in one of these tents, I ask you to meet us where we are today. I pray whether we're atheists, whether we're agnostic or Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim, I pray maybe, maybe we grew up Mormon or maybe we grew up, God, in a different uh, denomination, I ask you today that you would meet us where we are. We believe that you are the God that has all of our addresses. So would you speak to us today? Would you build us up today? Would you give us courage for the world that we're in today? And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless your people and bless the Lakers. In Jesus' name, if you believe it, come on, say amen. I got to smuggle that last part of the prayer in there. I'm excited. I, uh, I'm originally from California, if you don't know that. I uh, grew up in the, uh, my family's from Los Angeles. Pasadena is where my grandparents and my great-grandparents are from. My parents graduated from Eagle Rock High School, and uh, my dad is a mailman. He moved, he wanted to get more house for his money, so he moved our family from Eagle Rock to Palmdale, California. Palmdale is the home of Afro Man and Paul George. I'm the, I'm the third person to make it out. I actually met someone last week that made it out as well. And uh, it is pretty much, how many, how many, every state has an armpit. And the high desert is the armpit of the state of California. And I grew up in Palmdale. And uh, I grew up, we didn't have a whole lot. My dad and mom got divorced when I was seven. My mom didn't even graduate high school. So she started working at H&E. How many remember H&E? No? All right. It's like Lowe's. Um, maybe it's not called H&E. <laughs> so you're making me second-guess myself right now. But we were working. So she's a, she's a she's, you know, single mom. And so I have two older brothers, John and Lucifer. And um, I'm just kidding. His name's Satan. Um, but I grew up with these older brothers and my mom. And she was working a lot. We didn't have a lot. We, we grew up uh, in low-income housing. And uh, we didn't have a lot of money. Like, we were so poor. We, I, I said we were poor. 
We couldn't afford the OR. Hello. Like our welcome mat just said, well. Like you ring the doorbell to our house, the toilet flush. You know what I'm talking about? It was a different world. And so my mom was a good steward of her finances. And uh, my brothers and I, we, you know, we asked for Christmas presents. Remember one year my uncle bought us, uh, gave me a gift for my birthday. It was a box. And I was so excited. I opened it up. There was nothing in it. I said, what is this, uncle? He said, that's Invisible Man. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. <laughs> that didn't happen. The rest of this is true, though. I, uh, I, I grew up, and uh, my mom, I remember one of the best gifts she ever gave me was, how many remember Transformer toys? All the millennials said amen. I got this Transformer toy. I was so excited because that one toy was six toys. It could turn into a robot or a car. It could turn into, like, a, a train. That one toy could turn into whatever you wanted it to be. And I thought it was interesting because Transformer, it was really cool that it could turn into whatever the person holding it wanted it to become. And as I was praying this week, I started thinking about the state of our nation and the, and the, and the stress that the nation is under and the, the division and the hostility and the almost tangible uh, animosity and hatred that is right now in America, in California. We're living in a day and age that the pol political landscape is hostile. We're passing laws that are completely godless and immoral. We're, we're living in a, a divided that there's far left and there's far right and there's really nobody in the middle. And we're living in a landscape right now that I believe every day we have many multiple options to get offended. Every day we have options to get angry, to get resentful, to throw rocks, to be bitter, to, to start getting jaded. And as I was praying this week, God began to tell me about forgiveness and unforgiveness. And he said, Mark, I want you to tell my people that like Transformers, whatever of these two masters they give themselves to will determine what they become. That in the hands of unforgiveness, you will become, uh, I wrote this down, in the hands of unforgiveness, you will become bitter. In the hands of unforgiveness, you will become resentful. You will become angry. You will become unkind. You will become despairing, depressed, hateful, and you will be one that harbors grudges. It's amazing. I was doing research even this week, and I was reading even John Hopkins, uh, uh, John Hopkins uh, medical uh, community did articles even about the effects of unforgiveness on human health. They said that there is a, a, a high correlation between those that harbor unforgiveness with people that have higher blood pressure, higher cholesterol, higher volumes of, of depression. They said uh, exaggerated cases of PTSD. They said that unforgiveness is actually a byproduct uh, and it's it evidence in physical health. Isn't that amazing? That even science is proving that unforgiveness is not healthy for your body. Yeah. I was praying this week, and God began to speak to me even about the power of forgiveness. Yeah. Do you know that forgiveness comes from two words? It comes from for give. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, I've asked for it in the back for all of you that just blew your mind. <laughs> Listen, it means to be for. What does for mean? It means to be in favor of. Well, what does it mean to forget? It means to, to get rid of something, that you're in favor of getting rid of it. What does it mean to be in for something? It's, it's forgiving. And I want to encourage you today that to be a forgiving person, it means that you, you, you intentionally, by choice, make up your mind to say, I, even though I've been wrong, even though I have been hurt, even though I have been offended, even though there was injustice, even though people did treat me wrongly, I still am in favor of giving what I have received. Someone say with me, forgiveness. Being forgiving is, is powerful. I wrote this down as I was praying this week that, that there is actually, we live in a day and age right now that most of the ground that the devil occupies in our life is through the door of unforgiveness. Can I say it for those in the back? Do you know how the devil gets a foothold in your life? Mostly it's through the doors and the land that we give him through unforgiveness. God told me this phrase this week. He said, Mark, today there is a surplus of offense and there is a drought of unforgiveness. Or forgiveness, excuse me. There is a drought of forgiveness. There is a drought of kindness. There is a drought of understanding. There is a drought of peace. There is a low supply. Look at this. And there is a high demand. Do you know what makes people salt and light in a world that's unforgiving? Forgiveness. 
Do you know one of the things I didn't talk about a couple weeks ago when I talked about salt? Is one of the things that salt does is it makes people thirsty. Do you know one of the things we're supposed to do is have such a godliness inside of us that we bless when everybody else curses. And we pray for people when everybody else is cussing them out. What does that do? That makes the world around us thirsty for our peace. It makes the world around us thirsty for our joy. How do you have joy and peace in a hostile environment? I'll tell you one of the secrets of living at peace in 2020 is knowing the end. I'll tell you right now that if you tell me the score of the Laker game, first of all, I'm going to get mad at you. I don't like spoilers. But I'll tell you that I've had friends before because they know I'm a Lakers fan. They will tell me the score during a church service. And it, it, it ruins the game, right? Because I know, all right, they say all right, they won by 50 points, all right? Are they won by a free throw? You know what it does when you know the end of a game? It completely dismantles anxiety when you're watching it. Some of you are so anxious about what 2020 is holding because you do not realize the future. I know the future. Come on. Someone say God wins. I know where I'm going. I know who my redeemer is. I know that I am redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I know that my Savior, come on, lives. And today some of you have anxiety and fear. And I'll tell you that many times it is a byproduct of not discovering or realizing what forgiveness is. The story is powerful. Say it with me, powerful. Some of you are more, I don't, I don't like this message. I don't want to hear about forgiveness. Let me tell you why it's so good for you. Because many times we've experienced something that is so dramatic that we don't let how dramatic it is to transform us. What do you mean? I mean that this guy, turn me up a little bit on the monitors. This guy was forgiven 10 thousand talents now it sounds like a lot but it actually is a lot it's actually it's so dramatic that that one scholar uh let me give it to this one talent is equivalent check this out to 15 years salary one talent watch this watch 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 one one talent is equivalent to 15 years of wages so his ten thousand dollar debt was equivalent to a hundred and fifty thousand our, uh, years of salary, 150,000 years. It's an extraordinary debt. This was a debt larger than most providences of the day's budgets. It was larger than Samaria, Judea's budget. They're, the budget of Judea and Samaria in one other city was 600 talents annually, Josephus said. Galilee's total revenue annually was 300 talents. So when Jesus says this guy owed 10 thousand talents that is a crazy amount of money it was so crazy that the scholar ars kennedy said it this way that a hundred denarii which was just so you know a denarii was basically a day's wage so if you owed someone a hundred denarii that is a hundred days of, of of money so check this out he said it this way that a hundred denarii could fit in one man's pocket but he said ten thousand talents would be carried by eighty six hundred men carrying a sack of coins 60 pounds each standing in a single file line one one yard apart they would form a five mile line do you do you come on put that in your in your in your pipe and smoke that thought real quick that is a mind bending statistic this guy says that he owed 10,000 talents it's it's amazing in, in Esther chapter 3 i found this this week in Esther 3 9 Esther 3 9, it says that Haman comes to the king and says, King, let me annihilate the Jewish nation. If you let me annihilate the nation, we'll, we'll take all of the resources. Watch what he says. We'll take all of the resources which would accumulate, watch what he said, 10,000 talents will add to the king's treasury. Let me frame it to you like this. If you were a good Jew, when Jesus said that a certain man owned 10,000 talents, you would remember the story of Haman trying to wipe out, watch a nation for a national uh, a bounty of 10,000 talents. So let me frame it one other way so you can all understand. You ready? It's basically this one guy owed the equivalent of an entire nation's debt. Imagine that you don't just owe Jesus your debt. You owe the debt of America, which is a lot of money. Come on. <laughs> Did you see that meme? That was awful. But it says, who's going to pay back the debt of America? And it showed that song. And your children, and your children, and a thousand generations. Not too far from the truth. 
This story is powerful because it literally is saying that one man owed a national debt. And he, he leaves that national debt and he finds somebody that owes him a hundred bucks. And he doesn't, he throws this guy in the prison and he doesn't forgive him. And it's so amazing to me, this is just amazing. Peter comes to him and says, hey Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Now just so you know, in the, in the ancient rabbinic culture, rabbis said that you're supposed to forgive three times. The fourth time you don't have to forgive anymore. How many says bring that back? I'm just kidding. No. We wish as Christians, but it's not the case. You know, back then, if someone hurts you once, you say, all right, I forgive you. They hurt you twice, all right, I forgive you again. They hurt you three times, you go, all right, that's it. I forgive you, but that's it. Fourth time, they're done. And so when Peter comes on the scene, he's trying to be an overachiever. Hey, guys, watch this. Hey, Jesus. How many times do I have to forgive my brother? Seven times. I, I multiplied it by two and added one. Can we see that? He's trying to be an overachiever in this moment. You guys see that? And watch what happens. Jesus goes, no, not, not, not seven times. How about 70 times seven? Peter's like, I don't know how much that is. John's like, that's 490. <laughs> now listen, when this happens, they, uh, they said to him, they, they, that's too many times to remember. How could you remember a debt 490 times? And the idea was, is Jesus used this story to illustrate that if you actually try to forgive somebody 490 times, you would lose track. But in the process of losing track, you would learn the art of practicing forgiveness. That was the purpose of this idea is that this is crazy that we have to be people that are for forgiving. You know, many times people say, well, I can't forgive, man. I, I don't want to forgive. Can I tell you what forgiveness is not? Forgiveness is not just forgetting. Can I get a good amen? Many people say forgive and forget. The idea biblically of forgiveness is not forgetting because psychologically it is impossible sometimes to forgive the hurt that someone has caused you. But what can happen is you can choose to let go of it, to be in favor of giving them what they don't deserve. And what happens when you forgive somebody is that you don't forget maybe what happened, but you, it, it actually, it like a scar, you'll see the scar, but there's no longer pain there. I, I wrote this down that forgiveness is not just forgetting, it's more than forgiving. You see, forgiveness is removing the venom from the bites of life. That's what it is. I, it's crazy. We have two people in our church that I know of that have been bit by a rattlesnake, which made me want to move back to Idaho. They both happened in San Juan. And uh, I was like, my goodness, this is crazy. He got bit by a rattlesnake. It's crazy. When you get bit, one of the guys said that Missions Hospital was, is one of the only uh, hospitals that carries anti-venom. Anti-venom. And uh, they actually monitored his hand. He got bit in the hand, and they, they monitored his hand began to swell up, and they put antivenom in and antivenom in, and they kept on putting it in. Do you know what's interesting about antivenom is antivenom, they actually they make it by extracting the venom from a poisonous snake. And you know what they usually use to create antibodies? They actually inject the venom into a lamb. And lambs have an immunity to venom. And the, the lamb's blood begins to fight off the venom. And what they do is they take the blood that's overcome the poison and they extract it out of the lamb. And when you go to the doctors and they start injecting you with this life-saving serum, it's because some lamb overcame the poison. I feel like preaching in here. If I was in the south right now, there'd be handkerchiefs flying and chairs falling out under the power. We serve a God that is the perfect lamb who actually took on the, the poison of life's stings. You see, forgiveness is more than just forgetting. It's letting God remove the venom from that bite. And it, listen, it, let me tell you what it's not. It's not losing your desire for justice. Some of you have experienced things illegally. Some, some people have hurt you emotionally or physically or sexually. I want you to know that, that forgiveness is not saying, man, I hope they don't get caught. Forgiveness, though, is relinquishing you as the judge and saying, God, I do desire justice, but you're a better judge than I am. The Bible says the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It says let every man be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to get angry. I'm telling you right now that you will make a far better, uh, far better uh, employee than a boss. And I think sometimes we have to let God be the boss of circumstances. See, forgiveness is not just losing uh, your desire for justice. And it, listen, it's not just rolling over to your offender to, to hurt you more and more and more. I want you to know that you can forgive somebody 
and, and not still be their best friend. Can I get an amen? Do you know that you don't have to spend every holiday with that person that keeps on hurting you over and over again? That you don't have to listen. That Forgiveness is not saying I'm going to keep you close so you can keep hurting me. Forgiveness is just choosing to live with nothing in your heart. I heard some people say, well, Mark, well, well, well I, what do you do with people that don't think they hurt you? You forgive them anyways. What do you do, though, Mark? Well, well, what if they don't even ask you for forgiveness? Here's the good news. You don't have to wait on them to let them go. You know, one of the words for forgiveness in the Greek language, it comes from the idea of releasing or, or letting go of a debt. It means to just let go of it. It means to release it. I've learned that unforgiveness only incarcerates the person that holds the grudge. One scholar said that, that, that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the person you're angry at dies. It only, infl- it only are you following me right now, only, it only kills the person that's harboring it. And this parable is so stinking powerful because it, it shows us that God is a God that literally he forgives way beyond anything that we have ever done to anybody else. I want you to write a few things down today. I, I just have a, a few points that I want you to take home and just meditate on. And I want to just say this to you, that sometimes forgiveness is not a one-time event. And sometimes it's not just like, well, I choose to forgive them, and it, you never want to be mad again. I'll be honest, I grew up in a, you know, my parents got divorced. A lot of things happened when I was a kid. I don't want to expose or, 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 or throw any blame or shame on my family. But I do remember in my parents' divorce, there was a lot of ugly things that happened that a seven-year-old little kid shouldn't have seen. And pain that I experienced and trauma that I experienced at a young age. I remember having a very broken relationship with my father. I remember being very resentful towards him. And I want to help someone today. Listen, I'm not saying this because I need anything from you. I want something for you today. I want you to know that when you choose to hate somebody and when someone wrongs you and someone does something evil to you, if you do not choose to forgive, you will not break the cycle. I want to tell you today that theologically, the only way to break evil in a, in a generational line is to let God invade your heart with love and forgiveness. Have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered this, why do abused people become abusers? Why do kids that got messed up at a young age become the same ones oftentimes that mess up other little kids? How could cycles like this occur? Because I'm telling you right now, I'll be very honest with you, it is oaths that we say and we make. I want you to know that hate and oaths that are created and manufactured out of hate and unforgiveness will tie you to somebody that you don't want to be tied to. I want you to know that you don't want to get even with people that are evil. Do you know what it means to get even? It means to be on the same level as them. I want to get even. No, you, why would you want to be on the same level as someone that is wicked, godless, and unjust? I don't want to get even. I want to get full of grace. Are you hearing me today? And what happens is when you say, I hate my dad, I hate my mom, I will never be like them. Why are the people that make those vows the one that become just like them? Let me let you know a secret. It's because hate never breaks cycles. Only forgiveness can do that. Are you hearing me today? I'm telling you right now, I'm not lying to you. I promise I'm not selling any, I, I don't sell anything that I don't smoke myself. Come on, somebody. This is facts. This is truth. This is, and I'm telling you today, many people, they don't realize that they're like, why am I becoming like my mom? Or why am I becoming angry like my father? Or why am I repeating this darkness that happened to me at a young age? Because you have not extended forgiveness from your heart. It is forgiveness that, are you hearing me today, that breaks the cycle. So much what's happening in America right now, hate is not going to drive it out. It is choosing to remember, all right, this guy owed literally a trillion-dollar debt, and he has a servant that owes him 50 bucks. And he's so ticked off about that $50 debt. Let me tell you the, 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 the message of this parable. Here, here it is if you want to write it down. The biggest problem with this story is that the guy that was forgiven much was not transformed by his forgiveness. The problem with the guy that was forgiven the trillion dollars is he did not let the gift of forgiveness transform his heart. And I believe that today in America, we have a bunch of Christians that are on their way to heaven that have not let God transform their hearts. What do you mean? I see it on social media. Angry Christians, mean Christians. We have people that are so jaded, so opinionated. I am so tired of Yelp reviews, Google reviews. I am so tired of people that have bad attitudes critiquing everything that moves. 
I looked at a hotel review that I've been in this hotel. One guy left a one-star review for the hotel. He said, someone on staff did not make eye contact with me. What are we doing? How are you so mad about one little thing? You ever had someone cut you off or not use their blinker and someone loses their mind on you? How is your life that terrible that you are that angry? Like, I get it. Look, I, I kidnap your kid. I vandalize your home. You know, I steal everything that you own. Then act like that. But I just forgot my blinker. Come on, Orange County. I'm the only person in my neighborhood that knows how to use the roundabout. Come on. I'm not angry about it. I forgive you. Google that later. I'm telling you that we have to be transformed by the great gift God has given us. He says, listen, that's why you from your heart have to forgive. How do you know if you've forgiven somebody? Because your heart will always talk about what you have and haven't done. And when I say unforgiveness, if 40 people pop into your head, you have not forgiven them yet. And if I say forgive and someone keeps popping into your head, you have not forgiven them yet. And I want to tell you right now that they're not the one that's incarcerated. You are. So what we're going to do today is we're going to remind ourselves what Jesus has forgiven us of. How about number one? Let's remind us that we are transformed by a God who absorbed our destructive patterns and sin habits. Do you know that all of your dark moments, all of your big mistakes, I don't care what it was. I don't care how bad it was. The Bible says there were murderers that were on a cross next to Jesus. There was one of the guys that never went to church, never tithed, never gave a dollar to a ministry, never read a Bible, never did anything for Jesus except one thing. He prayed a, a Hail Mary prayer. He said, God, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And this murderer found his way into heaven. And you're going to meet him one day. And I want you to know this guy probably knows forgiveness maybe better than anybody else in the Bible. Because he never did anything to earn the forgiveness of God. I want you to know that forgiveness, it, we're transformed by this God that absorbed all of your lowest moments. You know one of the greatest benefits of Christianity, Psalms 103, it says he forgives all of my sins. How good is God? He forgives all of them. Do you know that you're not just forgiven of your transgressions? That he's the God that forgives you of your iniquities. So I was like, what's the difference? Let me tell you. Do you know that transgressions are outward? To transgress means to, when you see a no trespassing sign and you jump over the fence, you physically transgressed. That is an outward physical action that you broke the law. Iniquity is different, friends. Iniquity is more scary. Because iniquity is not jumping the no trespassing fence. It's thinking about jumping the fence. It's fantasizing about breaking the law. It's thinking about doing something evil. It's not the action outwardly. It's the internal thought. Some of you might think that you're living a clean life. Listen to me. I don't care how clean you're living outwardly. All of us have weird stuff that floats on the inside. And you know how beautifully the Bible fits together? It says that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. But he was bruised for our iniquities inwardly. You know what bruising is? It's, it's blood underneath the skin. How, how amazing is God that he doesn't just deal with the outside sin transgression by being stabbed with a spear in his side on the cross, but he was actually a God that was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. It says by his stripes we are healed. Which leads me to number two is that God is a God that canceled our bottomless debt. I want you to know, literally, some of you are like, my gosh, you don't realize how many things I've done wrong. I want to remind you that I don't like really any bottomless sin, but I do like bottomless french fries from Red Robin. Can I get a witness? I like bottomless when it's connected to food. Come on, like breadsticks from Olive Garden. Back in the 90s before people knew what carbs were. Why am I getting so heavy? It's like, there's carbs. I love bottomless food, but you know what I don't like? I don't like the idea that I have committed sin after sin. I, I told God I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to think that anymore. I don't want to act on that anymore. And my flesh flares up. You ever, been like an, you ever been attacked by just your carnal nature? I was telling Rochelle, we were jogging this week, and we were jogging. This is funny. I mentioned it last Sunday. But literally, we were jogging like three days ago at night on our demonic sidewalks. There is more spiders in my neighborhood I'm like, can we, get a, can we get somebody to spray for some bugs in a Rancho Mission Viejo? My gosh. 
So I literally run through a spider web. There is a spider the size of my hand. Preacher exaggeration. It lands on my chest. It, like, literally, it, it fell off my body. I stepped on it. It did a push-up. <laughs> Lifted me off. The, I'm just kidding. Uh, preacher exaggeration. I felt like, man, I was attacked by this spider web. I ran right into it. And I feel like many times our, our sin, our dark nature, it's almost like your mind and your business, you're jogging through life, and all of a sudden, some perversion or some darkness in your, some greed or some, some jealousy in your soul flares up, and it's like a spider lands on you. And I want you to know, can you write this down, that you are not, the, you are not every thought you think. One of the biggest lies of hell is that if it goes in your head, it must belong to you. I want you to know there is sin in your flesh, Paul talks about. You know what sin in the flesh is? It's like when you're at a hotel and you're like on the 42nd floor and you're on the balcony and you hear this weird voice and it's like, jump off the balcony. And you're like, no. It's the stupidest thought you never thought, Mark. Don't ever think that again. I got sick thinking about that thought. Do you know that that thought was not you? Problem with most Christians is they think that if it goes through their head, that it must belong to them. Can I just suggest to you that if a garbage truck pulls up to your house, empties the back of his truck in your front yard, you do not walk outside and say, my trash. What do you do when they drop off stuff that does not belong to you? Hey, hey, nah. I'm a Christian, man, but I'll get excited. I'll get fired up here. You better pick that up, man. I'm from Idaho. I got guns in the house, man. Pick this up. Pick this up. Are you hearing me today? The problem is, is you think because it went through your head that it belongs to you. I want you to write this down, that you will nev- never live in the spirit when you are dominated by your flesh. You're not going to live God, you're not going to be able to, f- to produce the fruit of forgiveness if you continue to live with your jaded mind. God, transform me by your forgiveness. Can I get an amen? You see, God canceled my bottomless debt. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him who knew no sin become sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means that Jesus, listen, he, re- he released me from the cell of unforgiveness and he took my place. One of the greatest illustrations of this is found in Matthew 27. The bank can come up here. I'm almost finished. Matthew 27. Write this down. It is the story of Barabbas. Did you know this? I don't know if you knew this. Sunday school people, Christian school people. Some of you went to seminary. You don't know this. Do you know that Jesus died on a cross that was not built for him? Let that sit in for a minute. It says that the day every year was the governor's parade. It was the custom to release one prisoner. There was three thugs that were arrested, three mafia members. They were murderers. They were extortioners. They were wicked. They were evil. And their punishment was crucifixion on the cross, right? To die on the cross. Most violent death maybe in history. And three of them were arrested. Three of them were in a cell, right? They're on cell block, death row, cell block C. And they're putting in their orders for their last meal. They're like, what do you want on your tombstone? No, I was kidding. Those are those old commercial. And they're literally in their cells. And, and, and all of a sudden, the jail cell opens up. And the guard yells inside the cell and says, Barabbas, come here. And he gets up off of his bench, knowing and thinking that he was certain to die. And he says, come here. And he stands up. He says, grab your stuff. He says, you're free to go. I, I'm, on, I'm on death row. I'm, 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 I'm convicted. I am a guilty, convicted murderer. They already sized me up for my cross. I have been measured for the wood that will crucify me. And the guard says, no, no, you're, you're not going to die on that cross. Someone is, but it's not going to be you. You're free to go. Jesus is taking your place. And I want you to think about this for a moment. Maybe one of the most powerful scenes of forgiveness in the Bible, that you have a convicted guilty. Follow me. He's not... Well, maybe he was innocent. He was guilty, guilty. Guilty, guilty walked by the hallway on the way out of the prison of innocent, innocent. And as innocent, innocent walked by Barabbas, I want you to just imagine for a minute, I wonder if they made eye contact. I wonder if for a moment there Barabbas realized, oh my gosh, the only reason I'm able to leave is because someone's taking my place. Listen, Jesus didn't just die for you. He died as you. 
he died in your stead. You see, everything that you and I deserve for our foolishness, our wild living, our spring breaks. Come on, Orange County. Oh, some of you. Some of your wild exploits. You know where they're, you know, you know what took care of that? It was the innocence of Jesus on the cross. And I would like to remind you today that he forgave you far more than you have ever been indebted by anybody else. I want you to know that I'm transformed because Jesus released me because he took my place. I want you to get that in your heart. And every time you want to be angry at a family member, and every time you say, I'm done forgiving them, I'm done, I'm done, they're dead to me, I'm holding a grudge, I'm taking this grudge to the grave, I want you to remember what Jesus did for you. Listen, I'm not, I'm not asking you to be their best friend. I'm not even asking them to make you spend the holidays with people you don't care about or people that have wounded you. But I am saying that you have to choose from your heart. I don't even care if the person that hurt you is dead. You don't need them to be alive to extend forgiveness to them. Some of you today, I want you to know that you choose. Being transformed by Jesus' forgiveness is number four. I want you to write this down. It's realizing that, that Jesus is a better judge than I am. The Bible says that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know what James says? It says this way, which leads me even to my, uh, one, of the, one of the big ideas of the New Testament is that do you realize that the mercy you show others is the same mercy that you're going to find in God? The Bible says over and over again, forgive us our sins as what? As we forgive. Do you know that if you don't let go of forgiveness, that God's forgiveness doesn't find its way to you? Some of you are, are so burdened down with, with resentment and anger and animosity, and God wants to forgive you, and God wants to give you grace to forgive them. But I'll tell you right now that you can only, you can only receive what you're willing to give away. Write that down. You're only able to receive what you're willing to give away. And the reason why some of you feel like you're just kind of forgiven and you feel like maybe God hasn't forgiven me is because you haven't caught this picture, friend, that God's desire to forgive you is so great that he doesn't want to just give you a love to forgive people that hurt you. He wants to give you a love to actually care for those people once again. Write this down. Number five is God's transforming forgiveness empowers us to return good to those who have done evil to us. This is a Christian idea. Do you know that no other world religion endorses and encourages you to pray for your enemies, to bless those that curse you? Man, if I was an atheist watching this online, if I had a problem with any religion, it would not be Christians. Christians are the ones that teach their churches how to, hey, love, love mean people, pray for wicked people, pay your taxes, be a good neighbor, love them as you love yourself. I'm not worried about us. Are you hearing me? I'm worried about people that are mean, that are angry, that are belligerent, that are evil to humanity. Are you still with me today? I'm almost finished. See, God's transforming forgiveness empowers us to return good. Romans 12, 21 says it this way. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Come on, Orange County. What do you overcome evil with? What do you overcome it with? How much evil's online? A ton. How do you overcome it? Well, I'm going to debate it. I'm going to Bible thump this guy. I'm gonna, I got a black belt in theology. I'm going to karate chop this knucklehead. You listen to me, friends. It is not your anger. It's not your debating abilities that is going to change people in the world. It is going to be overcoming their darkness with good. I wish God would, I wish you could got a hand clap. That is, that is more true today, more needed today. I know this might not be what you want to hear, but it's what you need to hear that we serve a God that is rich in mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is different than grace. Grace is unearned favor. Grace is power to overcome. Mercy is different. Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. You know what it says? It says that God is rich in, it's an interesting idea, isn't it? He doesn't say he's rich in natural resources. Doesn't say he's rich in, you know, whatever, a myriad of other topics. It says that he's rich, he's wealthy. He is affluent in not giving humanity what they deserve. He is a trillionaire of not giving humanity what they deserve. He is rich in mercy. And the last thing that I wrote down is that we're transformed by his forgiveness. When we desire that love goes beyond forgiveness. Our desire to love even goes beyond forgiveness. Do you know that forgiveness is the starting point? 
But God wants to take you so far past just forgiving people that you actually learn to love them again. Again, I'm not saying to be close, but I'm saying that you go, man, I, I, love, I, I pray that they do to come to know Jesus. I pray that they don't end up in hell. I, I pray that God does liberate them from that awful addiction or that mental disease or that bipolar condition or that, that habitual lying. Listen to me. There is something powerful, friends, when we say, God, I don't want to just offer forgiveness. I want to have your love. It's very rare today, but if we're going to be salt and light, we have to be people that are for, in favor of forgiveness. Are you with me today? So many times we wait for other people. Can I just tell you the worst prison in the world to be incarcerated in is the prison of an unforgiving heart. Unforgiveness locks up and torments the person that has it. Unforgiving hearts are a miserable heart. Living to punish people that wronged you only punishes you. Can I say that again? Living to punish the people. Let me say it another way. That's a little bit, some of you don't want evil on them, but you're trying to prove them wrong. I want to tell you today that you might, have to, you might have to forgive them 40 times a day. When my dad hurt me so much in the beginning, I had to, every time I thought about my dad, I'm like, oh, I'm mad at him. I'm mad at him. But you know what I started doing is I started saying, all right, every time I think about it, I'm going to say out loud. Because what does it say? From where to forgive? From where? Out of the abundance of the heart, the what speaks? So mouth and hearts are connected. So you know you've forgiven somebody when you say, no, I forgave him. You're mad at your dad. No, no, I, I chose to forgive him. And every time the devil reminded me how much I was angry at him, I started vocalizing, no, no, devil, I, I let that go. God forgave me much. I'm going to forgive him. And then 20 minutes later, my dad came up again. Oh, no, I forgive him. 30 minutes later, ah, oh, no, I forgive him. You know what's crazy? The first day or two, I was having to say I forgive him like 30, 40 times a day. And then it was like 20 times a day. And then it was like 10 times a day. And then it was like five times a day. And I can honestly stand before God here today and say, look, my relationship's not perfect with my father, but there is no unforgiveness that I have in my heart. Are you hearing me today? You can write this down. You know you're free of things when you feel, you feel liberated to talk about them. God has delivered me from perversion, from pornography, from darkness. All the things that I grew up addicted to, I can talk about them now because God has liberated me. Some of you can't talk about that family member because you haven't forgiven them yet. Some of, them can't some of you can't talk about what's going on in your life right now because you haven't let God set you free yet. I want to encourage you today, are you with me, that we are going to be forgiving people. Esau forgave Jacob. Joseph forgave his brothers. What did he say? You think you put me here? It wasn't you. God used your wickedness to lead me here. It was God that brought me here. It says that Joseph forgave his brothers. It says that Moses forgave his racist sister, Miriam. Miriam got mad at him because he married an African woman. It's funny that God does not like, le like, like racism. It says that God gave Miriam white leprosy because, Mo because Moses married a black woman. That's funny. I don't care who you are. That's pretty ironic right there. And, and what does Moses do? Moses prays for his sister. There's something about forgiveness. The apostles forgive Paul, and, and, and he becomes the apostle Paul. He was Saul of Tarsus. The forgiveness of sins usually is accompanied by the healing of bodies. I dare you to do a study in your Bible. Watch where Jesus says, neither do I. I forgive you. Go and sin no more. People were healed. Remember the guy that was lowered through the roof? He says, hey, your sins are forgiven. And the moment he was forgiven, he began to walk. Some of you haven't been walking because you've never experienced his forgiveness. And I'm telling you today, there is forgiveness that heals. There's a forgiveness that liberates. Some of you, you'll break the alcohol in your family line when you say, God, I forgive my alcoholic mom. I forgive my alcoholic dad. I forgive my alcoholic grandfather. Sometimes you don't break something until you offer up. Are you hearing me today? If you're going to clap, give him a good clap. We're going to offer forgiveness. We are a forgiving people. We are the moral conscience of our state. The church is the conscience of America. If we lose our ability to forgive, the nation is in trouble. We have to model what it looks like to say, hey, you slapped me on one cheek, that's all right, I got another one. You, you took some money from me, that's all right, I pardon your debt. We are a people that are unusual in our ability. Our resiliency to forgive is what sets us apart. 
there is no other guy in the world that ever taught a doctrine of, hey, I'm going to forgive you of everything, so when they hurt you, I want you to do the same to them as I've done to you. That is only found in Jesus. And there's two people here today. You know what you are? Number one, you've never experienced his forgiveness. How do you know? Because you are still carrying shame. You're still carrying the guilt of that abortion. You're still carrying the shame of lying to your parents. You're still carrying the shame of that person that died in your family that you never forgave. You're carrying it. Listen to me today. I'm going to tell you right now. Today is the day of twofold. God told me. He said that we're going to be transformed by the promise of God to receive, number one, to receive God's forgiveness. And as we receive it today, we're going to let it transform us. And as it begins to transform us, the second group of people in here today, you go, Mark, look, I'm going to receive it so that I can give it. You can write this down. You will never give anything that you don't receive first. And some of you, you can't live like Christ without Christ. I said it last service, but Christianity, let me say it this way. Christian without Christ leaves you with in. Christian without Christ leaves you with in. And it is impossible to live like Jesus without Jesus. It is impossible to do what Jesus did without the help of Jesus. And you're trying to live a Christian life without Christ's help. Living without Christ's help, it just leaves you living like Ian. And we got too many people in America today that call themselves Christians that are living more like Ian than Christ. How are we going to live like Jesus? By saying, God, I receive your forgiveness. And if you can forgive me all my stupidity, my trillion dollar debt, I'll forgive my dad his $50 debt. I'll forgive my uncle his $30 debt. I'll forgive my, my ex-co-worker his $50. I'll forgive that business partner that stabbed me in the back. I know you, Orange County. I know that you've been wounded. I know you've been hurt by churches and pastors. I want to tell you today that God's heart is, is that we would choose today. Say, God, I am in favor of extending the mercy that you gave me. I want to remind you, the same measure you use is the measuring stick that God uses to you. So if you want to receive a lot of his mercy, we got to make a decision to give a lot of it. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.